Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv. And this time I am joined by two great friends of mine, Tom Hunyardi from uh, Talk More Talk and Two Legs. How are you doing, Tom? I am wonderful, Martin. Thank you uh, for having me back and look forward to this this, this discussion on a uh, film that uh, has a very special place in my heart. Same here. And I've been enjoying the uh, recent videos that you've been putting up with Andy for the uh, your record collections. Yes, thank you. Yes, the new series called Things We Bought Today, where we just show off, you know, things we've picked up recently or, uh, you know, had in our collection for decades. <laughs> well, I picked up from my uh, storage unit yesterday and brought back here my... Uh, Paul McCartney archive uh, reissues. So they're all down there, the deluxe editions. Ah, very nice. And and we are also joined by the acclaimed author of, um, he did a fantastic book about U2's uh, The Joshua Tree. And I have pre-ordered the fantastic George Harrison book that you've got coming in, is it April, uh, Owen Link? Uh, it should be at the end of March. Uh, it's advertised for the UK to be March 24th on Amazon. Uh, so it's, yeah, I, last time I spoke to the editor, we were sending the books to the, to the, to the printers and it's completely out of my hands. No, that's all I can say. Uh, yes. I've got mine on order as well. Um, oh, thank you. George Harrison in the seventies, is it called? George Harrison in the seventies. Yes. It is. Yes. Yes, George Harrison. So, I mean, it is what it says in the tin. It's about George Harrison in the 70s. So we start off with him having left the Beatles and creating what I consider to be the greatest solo album of the lot. Uh, so, sorry, Tom, I know you, you're a big hey, old guy, but I think... I've been... Uh, I've, I've said uh, for many decades now that All Things Must Pass is the best solo Beatles record. Okay, Excellent. And uh, then we so then we journey with George as he, you know, he starts off with the most promising solo career and then he goes on a regrettable tour in 1974, which didn't do him any favors. It came, uh, it came uh, uh, during a, a difficult time in his life, during a marital breakdown and, an, and a cocaine addiction, the vocal and as strong as they should have been. And then from that point, we go into, uh, he retreats to his home in, in Friar Park. He changes his mind on his art. It's less about comps and more about how he feels about it. And along the way, he becomes friends with Eric Idle, who introduces him to filmmaking. And together, they, they worked on, on two brilliant comedies. The first was The Ruffles. The second was Life of Brian. And through Life of Brian, George... So, yeah. it's okay. I, I lost audio there for some reason, Owen. Don't know why. Oh dear. So, what? What are you actually following this up with the with George in the eighties as well, Owen, or is it just the seventies? Just the seventies for now. Um, I've written two books in two years, and I think I need to take some breathing time. Uh. Maybe I'll write about in the 80s. But uh, Robert Sellers would call during the 80s. Uh, his, none of his albums are that good from the 80s. I, I'm, 
I, I, I can see the Twitter onslaught from here. <laughs> Please don't stop listening to this show just because of what Owen just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. He talks about mm-hmm. no good albums in the 80s because we are, our next episode is going to be um, for our uh, another listen series and we're going to be uh, talking about somewhere in England. Uh, so that should be, uh, should be another fun one. Indeed. I quite like somewhere in England, but I think that I think the biggest culprit is Cloud Nine, which is just mm. a, a stadium rock album by a guy who's interested in stadium rock. Okay. As they say, we agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so we are here to speak about. So um, do, do I go into my big long essay or not? I don't know. Please do it. Yes. Okay, let's go through. So, on the 24th of March, it will be the 50th anniversary of the film The Godfather coming out. The film was based on the expansive novel written by Mario Puzo, where the filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola took that and wrote a script based on the book itself, using that novel on set. And if you look at the behind the scenes footage from the box sets, you'll see that he actually had the book with him on the set with notes written directly in the book based on what the mm. film was going to take from the book mm-hmm. and what it wouldn't take from the book. The book saw mm-hmm. that Mario Puzo was on set for a lot of the time, helping Coppola to craft a film that would influence feature films in the gangster genre, even up to today. Despite the film's length, more footage was filmed but discarded by Coppola himself to keep the narrative from dragging. And even if that had been inserted, it would only have been around 40% of what was in the book itself. Around the first quarter of the book is actually an explanation of how the Mafia families had come about in detail, which was seen as unnecessary to the film. Instead of which... Coppola, along with Puzo as an advisor, honed in on the family that the book was about for the main part of the story, the Corleone family, headed by Vito Corleone. The film is an explanation of the contrast between violence with the crimes committed therein, whilst also looking at the strong familial bonds between a real family showing a tenderness and closeness. Vito himself is at odds internally, understanding the dichotomy and innate hypocrisy, but knowingly understanding that the die is cast for his own self. It is because of this that he tried to keep his youngest son, Michael, away from the family business, instead being happy that Michael was seen as a honoured serviceman of some note. However, Michael loved his father Vito and he also has that strong familial bond and when his father was shot he naturally felt compelled to react it is a cycle that despite everything is predetermined as you can see through all three of the films where it keeps trying where Michael when he becomes the godfather Mm -hmm. he tries to change things and he can't, no matter what, because it's determined once it started, that cycle just keeps turning and turning. Mm-hmm. 
What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's definitely you know this this progressive you know attitude he has towards you know succeeding and and, and protecting his family and and this and we're talking about Michael um, as you know someone that that feels the need to constantly you know win or you know protect uh, you know his family at all costs and and you know to see the transformation from film to film um it, it really is just, you know a marvel in, in acting i think mm-hmm. al just you know does a, a you know a great job with that and and then the same thing can be said with brando too you know with with him in the first and then de niro uh, portraying a young vito corleone in in, in part two and in, in seeing you know, both aspects of where he was at the first one and then how he came to to power in the second one. It's definitely, you know, great storytelling on, on both Coppola and Puzo's part. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Owen? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I'm probably in a minority that while Godfather Part 2 is widely considered the superior film, I'm probably the only person who thinks it's vastly superior to the first one, as much as I do commend the first one. But the first one to me is a straightforward narrative about mobsters, whereas the second one is visual poetry. I mean, the way that it interlocks all these emotions, these disparate timelines, the fact that Pacino's Michael and De Niro's Vito Corleone are spiritually connected in this, often within the same frame, that whatever Pacino's Michael does to destroy his father's glorious legacy. And at one point where Pacino seems to see Pacino's Michael is worn down by everything he's doing, his father just grows, grows more confident and more handsome and more successful. Mm. And then it comes to this deeply impactful final scene where Michael Corleone is prematurely aged and, and, ab- and left with nobody but, but memories of his father surrounded by family. It's almost Shakespearean. Huh? You know, I, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of people that have spent time with the trilogy, I think everybody will recognize that, you know, part two is, is you know, better better to superior than part one. But I think it's, it's part one that draws you in. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's not for that, you know, you're not going to enjoy uh, part two. You know, I, I would go on, even go on to say that, you know, part part one is is also the one that's you know it's more quotable i mean you you see this is the film that where everybody quotes from you know it's just a you know in in a way more um enjoyable film commercially i think be just just because it's it's just so straightforward like you said you know and then when you get to the part two i mean it's it's more time consuming it's more focused you're you're mm-hmm. you know you're 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 taking the energy to to watch all the you know the character growth yeah. in in those stories um but but yeah I, I definitely i can definitely agree i mean i don't know if it's vastly superior <laughs> than the first one but it's I, it's it's definitely yeah yeah uh, I, I'm I'm in a minority in that. Uh, but uh, Martin, it's interesting you say Shakespearean because part three is inspired in mm. part by King Lear. Yeah. Yeah. There's one scene that is almost lifted directly from King Lear, which is that when Pacino's Michael starts screaming for Fredo, a storm mm. is billowing outside, and it it echo it is uh, King Lear screaming through the storms. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I meant also Shakespearean in the way that um, uh, very often you'll find in Shakespeare there's characters where one character starts one way and another character starts somewhere else. So you've almost got exactly the same thing with the um, with Michael in Godfather Part Two. You've got Michael where he starts at one place and he ends up there, and you've got uh, Vito in his section where he where it's actually switched around. The characters are now the travel, so you've got one traveling this way and one traveling that way. So it's it's like a, an opposites or a contrast to each other that you also get in a lot of Shakespearean plays or a lot of his dramas. Anyway, mm-hmm. sure. I agree with that. I mean, in the Beatle world, Shakespeare is, you know, oh, how toot, and I splat. I like how Abby knowing he brings it all back to back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but there's, there's a lot of things about the film where I think um, the end is up being perfect with the cast, for instance. I, I think uh, the casting of, of Al was perfect even though it was not what the studios wanted and oh, yeah. and i think you know so you've also so you've got him james khan is perfectly cast as mm. as sonny and then you've got robert duval as tom and even uh, i happen to be a huge fan of uh talia, talia shire the actress okay. you know from that and in the rocky films as well i think she's an incredible actress that's not that known and then Brando is perfectly cast, and his portrayal mm. is uh, phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. You know, the Coppola had to fight for a lot of these castings. I mean, yeah, the the, the studio wanted, you know, everybody and, and anybody uh, except Pacino at the yeah. time, and, and you know, and, and Coppola, you know, he got to see, um, you know, things that Pacino was doing, whether it was plays or or his film you know including you know panic the really good panic in needle park which uh is really how you know he came to attention uh in in, in the film world mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah but you know the casting of brando and and what he did to um you know to bring you know the the don to life and you know if, when you have the 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 box set you can you see the casting stuff and you can see you know de niro trying out for sunny and, mm-hmm. uh, and how different that would have been you know if if, if yeah. de niro ended up getting that that role but uh but yeah the casting and you know and, and the thing is, is you know he went through so much trouble because i mean one they didn't really care they didn't want him to be to, to direct it to begin with either i mean they had so many other people that they yeah. you know studio paramount you know so but yeah. um but yeah it's it's it all worked out for the better luckily for us but uh, but for yeah sure. the casting wise was was spot on it was actually a scene with talia shire that helped uh, cement to help mm. anchor him because they were the exec weren't happy with with his direction of acting mm. so he and shire said okay we're going to give them we're going to give them action and they sh- and they sh- and they rehearsed in where Connie, which is Talia Shire's character, is beaten up by her husband, and he's mm-hmm. whipping her with a belt, and they're throwing right. they're throwing plates, and I, I mean I mean Shire, who's Coppola's sister sibling, yeah. uh, she recognized his fury, so that they went in with this desire to just say we are showing you what we can do, and it's a very powerful scene. Yeah, spoiled giddy brat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, it is. 
I think they ended up with the right director as well because they had in in, in Coppola, they, in Coppola, they had a, yeah. a director who was very much he went above and beyond essentially in a way going to the extremes that he did with getting the getting the script to where it was and working out what it was that was needed from the book to put across and what wasn't needed as well because that that's a part of it as well and yeah. so they'd found somebody who was 100% in for it and not just doing it as a job but it was like something that it, it was almost like he was compelled to do it and he had no other choice in a, in a way mm. yeah All right well you know, to do something like this and, and to have it more authentic yeah. and, and, and be accurate, you, you really needed an Italian director to do this. So, you know, I was reading mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, they also offered this to Sergio Leone, which, you know, again, I think he would have probably done a, a, a well job, uh, you know, on this as well, if he had taken the job, but Coppola was, was, was great. He was absolutely the right pick for well, this job. And, Co- but mm-hmm. sorry. Well, the thing with Coppola is we have to remember he's a writer first, a director second. So that's why I think he like I mean. So that's why he, he he's good. He had a, he had the script mapped out and he uh, he could see the scenes unfolding as he was writing. And he, unlike his peers Scorsese or Steven Spielberg, he's an artist in that I don't think he's ever directed something he hasn't written himself. Right. Whereas Scorsese or Spielberg tend to take scripts polished by other people as we saw in The Departed, which was supposed to be directed by someone else until DiCaprio mm. contacted Martin right. Scorsese. Which one Scorsese and Oscar? So he's sure. not complaining. Right, no, he's not. And you got to remember, you know, you brought up a good point that, you know, Coppola is is, is mm-hmm. a writer first, and he did win an Oscar for for, for <laughs> screenplay for Patton, you yeah. know. So, yeah. you know, he, he has already had some success as a yeah. writer. But but you met, you mentioned Sergio Sergio Leone in uh, or Sergio Leone uh, as as a p- potential, but in a sense, I'm I'm almost glad also that he didn't end up getting it because we might not then have got uh, the incredible Once Upon a Time in America. Well, yeah, that's true, but mm-hmm. then you got to look at the timeline too. I mean, look how much for much what you know, 12, 13 years later, years. you know, ten years later. I mean, mm-hmm. and and you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff. I mean, that was a gene, dream project of his, too. So, I mean, a lot of those gene projects take a long time to get off the ground. Um, you know, so, yeah, I can mm-hmm. understand why he would want to put his focus on that and then refuse it. So, but, yeah, I think Sergio, Sergio would have done, you know, fantastic as well. But, yeah, we probably wouldn't have gotten Once Upon a Time in America, which is another, you know, another, uh, you know, mafia beautiful film that uh, I enjoy. It's a beautiful yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, exactly. And, and you have to see it. I mean, I've got this, the, you know, that four-hour cut that came out a few years ago, you know, and, and that where they reconstruct it and they put in some scenes. And, and you know, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a something that you definitely need to see um you know now rather than when it first came out where they you know the studio cut it and mangled it up you know chopped it up to pieces and just made no damn sense yeah well i mean you know we're going on a tangent here but with with you know with uh with that you know you yeah it's it's fantastic you know and uh, so i was i was just suddenly reminded of once upon a time in the west by uh by him as well then with that opening sequence mm-hmm. there and mm-hmm. that, that's beautiful as well but that's not a gangster film but oh. you know leone is just an incredible no. but you know visual director 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not a gangster film, but you know, criminals nonetheless of, of of the of the genre. I mean, it doesn't matter what the backdrop is. I mean, it still has that same feel uh, to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. I, I do think that uh, The Godfather was the beginning of a change in that st- that sort of style of film, where up until then it had been that sort of film had been a certain way. So it was, you know, you could go as far back as probably uh, um, oh, uh, Public Public Enemy. You know, go back to the 30s and the 40s to those sort of films, and th- there was sort of similar, like those sort of films, gangster films and mafia films, were sort of similar to that. Up until even even in the sixties, they had that same sort of feel to them. And then when when Coppola touched this, he put a realism to it as opposed to that, you know, theatricality mm. that was in the right. earlier gangster films. This time it had a a realism and a very brutal realism at that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, again, that's that's the beauty of having you know an Italian director, an Italian writer. Um, you know, with with Puzo and Coppola both working on on the script, Puzo being on on set, you know, helping writing. So, I mean, that's where that that's where basically that's that's the roots of of the film. You know, you you look at those films like you know Public Enemy and and Little Caesar and you know all those 30s films and yeah I mean it doesn't it has nothing to, no feel uh, you don't you don't believe um, that it's got anything to do with any kind of Italian family I mean yeah it's got the organized crime but it, it it's just a completely different feel mm-hmm. with like not a lot of, of character character um, um, background or anything or, or build on, on characters it's just you know you got these hour and a half movies that got to get a point across you know so you you know so when you got something mm-hmm. like this that can be three hours you you finally you'll get that get that feel and that understanding of of what you know the film's supposed to be for sure yeah but you, you've also i mean i think that you know i look at a lot of gangster movies and television of, of today you know I, I watch i watch the sopranos and i think the sopranos mm-hmm. owes a lot to to things like the god to the godfather as well where you've Absolutely. got that family Absolutely. situation there mm-hmm. and it, it's almost the same way you've got the crime and you've got what they're like behind closed doors with the families as well. So it's almost a similar thing, but a modernised version of it. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I agree. Uh, Go ahead, Lon. No, thank you. Uh, uh, I, think, I think it's pretty telling that the best mobster movies that in the wake of The Godfather went entirely a different way. So they presented their leaders as much more thuggish so my second favorite gangster film is or mobster film is The Long Good Friday, which is a which is mm. a British film starring Bob Hoskins. And in direct contrast to Marlon Brando, garrulous and refined, he's thuggish and very East End and very well, what what are you doing? I'll slice you up with that. And and there's a real sense of malevolent violence to it. And then Scorsese matched that with Goodfellas, which of course is a turbocharged, very punky, very very heavy. Uh, gangster film it literally ends with a punk song with Sid Vicious so it has the kind of turbocharged energy so the, the Godfather was so it was so prevalent that to compete with it you had to go a completely different direction mm-hmm. but then Scorsese is he's clever with the way that he does things because then you so you've got you've got that film there and then you've got Casino as well which is also a mob related film but it's a completely mm-hmm. different feel 
to the other yeah. to, to good fellas. You know, it is yeah, it's done incredibly to be able to. It's almost like it's a different genre, but it isn't. They they are, but they are very different films yeah. and feels. Yeah. Well, you know, the the film that I think a lot of people forget in the the Scorsese filmography of of mobs mob movies is is Mean Streets, um, yeah. which which again continued that uh, that that mob thing after because it's sandwiched in between Godfather one and two, you know, coming out in seventy three. And again, it, it just shows the tightness of the unit that, you know, it shows them being smart with each other. I mean, it shows the, the, the criminal aspect of it. It shows the kind of continuing the, the characters build or study that that Coppola started with with the, the, the first Godfather. I, I think Martin Scorsese's uh, Mean Streets is very important to the, the genre because one, it, it, it's introducing um, it's introducing Scorsese to to the world. It's introducing De Niro uh, to the world and, and, and Harvey tell and i i mean I, for me i mean that that's right uh, for me i think that's even better than casino uh right behind goodfellows and in, in scorsese's mm-hmm. um you know if you want to call it like the like the gangster trilogy or or whatever you want to call it because look mm-hmm. I, I can the part it is kind of like a gangster film but it's 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 got both aspects of it it's got the you know people trying to put them behind bars and it's got the you know it's got the gangsters in it so it's just mm-hmm. not all focused on you know the bad guys so, so say like you know mean streets or or goodfellas does for sure and casino yeah what's interesting is actually uh coppola one point penciled martin scorsese to fight godfather too but he's just under directing mm. it but had watched mean streets and suggested uh scorsese to the executives it was the executives mm. who said no we want you to direct uh, the sequel and for some reason they had an issue with calling it godfather part two i don't know why no i don't know mm. why either. no Right. Well, I mean, the sequels. Yeah, I mean, the sequels weren't really, uh, you know, a big thing, you know, back then. Um, you know, now you look at it now. I mean, everything's part two, part three. You know, so that I mean, that really set. Um, you know, it's kind of ahead of its time. You know, in 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 that in that regard. Well, yeah. I mean, today we're in a world where everything is about franchise. Aren't we? You know, you've got the Marvel franchise mm-hmm. and this sort of franchise. Yeah. Whereas back then, like you said, it wasn't. It yeah, wasn't sort of like that, but. When, yeah, when you I mean, mentioned- even like a series like the the Planet of the Apes, you know, it had titles. You know, there wasn't, you know, a, a part one, a part two, part three. You know, so you know, I can see how they probably wanted to have it, you know, as as a as a, its own title. But but I think part two works perfectly. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say when you mentioned uh, Robert De Niro, it reminded me of another one that a lot of people don't think about, which would be A Bronx Tale. Which I think is a is a mm-hmm. great film and also a very different, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a mob film. But in in a way, right. but it's, that's an incredible film as well. Yeah, right. Again, it's, it's it shows you know both sides of of you know in a way it's kind of like a precursor to this this new uh, film, uh, the Many Saints of Newark, which was like a you know pre a prequel to uh, Sopranos in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a you know a, you know a working man and he's got his you know he's raising a son pretty much on his own and 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 mm-hmm. trying to you know get keep him out of this world and it, and it takes the the murder of the man that he admires to pretty much you know take him out of this out of this lifestyle and and in a way you know analyze this too um uh was was kind of like a a, a kind of i don't know 
influence maybe on the Sopranos as well with yeah. the whole, you know, therapist uh, aspect of it too. I would imagine that, you know, when that movie came out, David Chase probably wasn't too happy about that because I'm sure he probably had, you know, the Sopranos working in his mind for, for quite some time with, you know, analyze this coming out just two years uh, before the Sopranos. Yeah. And then you mentioned the family bit with that, with that kid from uh, a boy's, you know, a Bronx mm-hmm. tale. That, that reminds me of another one of my favourites from recent years, which would be Road to Perdition with, uh, oh, with Tom Hanks. Okay. I, think, I think that's a great film Law, as well, yeah. you know, where, he's, where yeah. that's a hitman essentially for, for, the, for, the, for the mob who, or for one of the families. Mm. And he um, is trying to protect his family because it's almost as though his family don't know what he does. And then right. suddenly that mm. dark world that he's in starts to affect his family and he's got to protect his son essentially and get him out of the way because his son's yeah. found out what he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's fine. I, I enjoy road to perdition. I don't necessarily put it on the same level as like a no. good fellas or Godfather, you know, but it, it's definitely got, you know, that feel, I mean, you know, the casting of Paul Newman is, is, you know, I love Paul, I'm a huge mm-hmm. Paul Newman fan, but um, I just don't, yeah, you know, I just thought maybe that wasn't, you know, the best casting uh, as much as I like, you know, Paul Newman and, you know, and stuff like that. I found to be strangely miscast because that was, because that was the first film he worked with director Sanders, who then went on to direct two of his Bond films. But I, I, accents have never been Daniel's forte. He's not, I don't, that that Chicago that Chicago accent is pretty <laughs> damn incredible. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And in his accent in uh, Knives Out is a bit exaggerated as well. Oh, yeah. The knives are rare. <laughs> yeah. Then, of course, I mean, you've, you've probably also got to, I mean, do, do people actually forget about the film The Untouchables as well? No, no, I don't I don't see that at all. I, I see that as, as as a film that that people, you know, re, you know, re, you know, consider pretty high up there in, in the the mafia style mm-hmm. movies. I don't I don't think I don't think that one gets um, forgotten at all. Again, I mean, you got an explosive underused De Niro in a way where I mean, he's only in the movie for maybe 15 minutes uh, tops. Mm-hmm. But um again it, it's just if it is forgotten it's it's because it just focused so much you know on the kevin costner and and sean connery relationship that maybe if it does get mm-hmm. forgotten it's just seen yes i mean it's 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 the main focus it's it's you know them trying to you know put capone away but it's not like it's the main focus of the film but even though he's not in it for long that's the first rule yes <laughs> Even though he's not in it for long, though Robert De Niro does make his mark in in it, Untouchables, oh. especially with the crick, with the uh, mm. with the baseball bat. Oh, are you kidding me, man? This, I mean, what do you think I carry this baseball bat around? <laughs> you know, because you know, but that's the speech. It's it's really the the that 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 whole speech, uh, enthusiasm, enthusiasm, uh, you know that just really draws you in, and um, you know yeah. he just he just does just just does it so well you know but you know what i would like to have seen a little bit more de niro in that movie probably yeah another case of sean connery using a scottish accent to play somebody else in another act yeah Yeah. 
I'm from. Uh, I'm from Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> well, he's a Spaniard in uh, Highland. I know. <laughs> and he, he says, I'm, I'm from Spain. And then you've got Conor McLean. <laughs> anyway, carry on, Owen. You were saying something. Just, uh, I, I, I commend De Niro's acting. I think he's incredible. But that is not an Academy Award-winning performance from Connery. No way in hell did he, especially considering that he was up against Denzel Washington that year. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. So, if the film's not under under underrated or overlooked, I think the director of Untouchables is sometimes overlooked. You know, mm. behind De Palma quite a lot. I don't think people seem to realise how many great films he does because. He's almost like a filmmaking chameleon because he'll make one film of one style and then suddenly he'll jump ship and go and make a film that's completely left field of what he's just done. Yeah. Kind of, but I mean, you always get this uh, in his films. You know, I love that genre I mean, or that, that group. I, I mean, there's that great um, television series that was called in... in um, there was a an episode just on these on, on the slot that was called the film school generation, which you know included the Palma Scorsese and Coppola and Spielberg, uh, Lucas and and John and, and Milius and you know and, and in a way the Palma kind of gets lost in that shuffle because yeah he's had some success with like Untouchables or Carrie, but then you know he kind of had some missteps too. You know great films, I mean, but 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 when people talk um, uh, the Palma, they they kind of sometimes miss a film like blowout um or they miss a film like phantom of um uh phantom of the paradise you know so you know there's there's films that they miss of his because they're not the blockbuster they're not the blockbuster hits you know kind of like spielberg and lucas and coppola Mm -hmm. coppola had which is a shame because he's a great director i mean i just watched uh I just watched the the um the uh, Raising Cane film with John Lithgow, um you know and and, and I you know it's again it's a film that did okay but it didn't do great uh in his in his catalog. Same with Snake Eyes. I mean I, I Snake Eyes was okay but again it just wasn't you know it wasn't great. Uh, I don't know how if you how you guys felt about the that but you know he, he wasn't consistent i don't think like uh Scorsese was um or even uh, even a Coppola. But then you've also got other, other I mean, uh, I've written a few different types of uh, film here. I mean, uh, I think The the Firm as well, That that's that's a mob film with, with Tom Cruise of all people, essentially, because he's in a law firm that's, that is the law firm for the mob. And that's completely different. So I'm basically, I've got a list here of films that look at it from a different angle, because I mean, even then you go completely different and you've got a film like Married to the Mob, which is essentially a comedy mm. film, but it still touches that that subject as well with Dean Stockwell and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I mean that's a film I haven't seen in in, <laughs> in a long time, you know. Same so here. I really can't that 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 comment on it. But yeah, I had seen it, um, you know, close to when it came out, or not long after it came out, I should say. But it didn't leave. It just didn't leave a mark on me like like those other films did. Maybe because of the comedy aspect of it. But uh, but again, it's, it's it's something like that gets lost in the shuffle from from all these other great you know classic mob films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's technically just somebody trying to. I think that married to the mob. I think they had this. There was this period where 
they were trying to take the general idea of, of, of mafia and just see what different elements they can give to that basic idea. So I think the comedy was just another idea that they thought, oh, well, perhaps we'll try this with comedy and see if it works. Well, uh, you know, when you look at it, these films are funny in a way. You know, these serious films are funny in a way. Maybe just the way they talk, maybe the, the, their, their accent or the way they, you know, they're, they're smart asses with each other. Uh, you know, the dialogue, it, it, it is funny in a way. And then so it, it can um, it can cross over to a different genre like comedy. Like, again, like like a analyze this. Um, I think it's 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 very funny. And, and I'm sure there was others, some other, um, you know, mob movies. I mean, in a kind of a way like, you know, my cousin Vinny is not really necessarily a mob film, but you you got this, you know, Joe Pesci character that looks like he could be a mob person person you know well yeah i mean i mean there's almost there's almost like in these uh sort of serious uh gang- gangster films you have got humor in the almost matter of factness that they will you know like mm. such as the famous line you know that you know leave leave the cannoli i mean that's sort right. that is funny but right. yeah. it's 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 just a throwaway line that that somebody would just say in in general. They're just like, "Oh, look, just leave that. Yeah, pick up the gun, get out of here." Yeah, but it's funny because it's just the way that it's delivered. And yeah, yeah, right, for sure. And and in a way, you know, again, you know, getting back to the comedy aspect of it, there's a there's times where. You know, the violence is funny as well. You know, you yeah. see somebody getting their ass kicked. Let's say, you know, the 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 fight scene in the bar in Goodfellas where the what's his name? Just cool exchange is hilarious. And then you see, you know, the, this mob guy that just gets out of jail. He's getting his ass kicked. And, and, and it's kind of funny because you see the, their faces while they're kicking his ass and it just their faces are their expressions on their faces are, are, are kind of funny as well. And it, and it just turns into, you know, a, a comedy bit in a way. Yeah. Uh, a, fil- a film actually is punctuated by brilliantly uh, comedic and dark moments is The Irishman. Which mm-hmm. has a lot of moments of, of, of little throwaway gags, such as near the end when Nero's guard says, "You're gonna have to talk to my lawyer," and the guy says, "He's dead. Who? Right. Who got him? <laughs> Cancer." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Still yet to or, see that. Or film. another another bit where he meets Harvey Cattell's character, mm. and he says, "Um, Harvey Cattell says, um, do you know who owns the other half of of the of the bring down?" No, 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 who? Tell me, who owns the other half? No, I own the other half. Not I own the other half. The other half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some good bits in there too. So. Yes, I, I I love the Irishman. I think I think it's uh, I mean it's very heavily modeled. That's a film that's very heavily mm-hmm. modeled on the right. on the Godfather, especially Godfather Two, particularly with Al Pacino's portrayal of Hoffa. There's right. one scene that seems to be lifted directly from Godfather Two, where he's he's sitting by the lakeside, contemplating his past sins and his and his failings, mm-hmm. and it seems to be a, I'm sure Scorsese said to him, "This we're doing Godfather Two this moment," and Pacino goes, right. "Oh." Okay, right. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. so, 
So I'm trying to look for some uh, comments that people have made. Some people have left comments uh, about uh, oh, wow. gangster films. Yeah, listeners. I'm doing listener feedback. Let's have a look. Okay. Are we live? We're not live. We were going to be live. I should have done that. Okay. okay. So apparently the, the, the re-screening them, aren't they, in, in the UK at the moment, the three films at the cinemas in a, in a thing, and some people, a lot of people have been going to see them recently, a bit, bit like they've been doing the Bond films as well. And uh, I did not know that. Yeah. So this person who's been to see it recently said something. What's his name? Grant Arena, who is an artist. Yeah. In Ireland as well. Yep. But uh, he left another comment as well. He's mentioning films that we should mention. Yeah, I did. I did get to see a uh, restored Godfather um, in in theaters. I think it was in '97. Um, they did a, a, a small theatrical run uh, for the 25th anniversary, and uh, that was that was a really fun experience getting to see it on the big screen. Right. You're a little bit older than me, Tom, so I wouldn't have been able to see it then. Mm-hmm. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> I'm not sure. If we, I don't think we mentioned it during during show. I think we mentioned it beforehand. But but Owen was mentioning the uh, the recut of uh, part three, part three, which mm. they called uh, Godfather Coda. Um, I mean, yes. Do you think that's made, that made a big change to the way that the film works? Does it does it come across better? Do you think? I- I think the changes in pacing helped. I think it also it helped give a con. It helped give a, a, an overview of what Coppola was trying to achieve. That this wasn't the third chapter in The Godfather. It was about Michael Corleone trying to absolve of sins. And again, there were a lot of overlaps between this and The Irishman. And the, and the recut came out a year after The Irishman which ended with Robert De Niro's character uh, sitting in, a, in a, an, a pensioner's home with nothing to look back on but all the killings and the sins and all. And he's beyond redemption, cannot ask God for forgiveness, and he doesn't know if he can forgive himself. Mm-hmm. And I think Coppola tried to make that more apparent in this cut of the, than it was in the original. I, I agree. I, I enjoy the pacing a little bit more with this re-edit of, of, of Godfather Part 3, so I, I would agree with what you said there. And I, I, I agree with the, uh, the the retitling of it as well because mm. it's it doesn't part two of the Godfather works perfectly going from part one going from the original Godfather to part two. Mm-hmm. There's too much of a distance between what's yeah. gone on on part two and part three. Mm. So essentially, it's sort of a different story in a way. So I, I actually mm-hmm. prefer the fact that it's not called part three, but I think that was, I think that was foisted on him calling it part three by the studio. I think I've heard that. For sure. 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, the only he thing they, to... I'm, I'm sure the only thing the studio had on its mind at that time was money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I, I, I think that 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 whole thing was was absolutely rushed. I don't, I don't think it was was very thought out thoroughly as as well as it as it could have been. Because again, I mean, a lot of people were just blinded by money. Um, you know, if you're dishing out all this money to to Al the reprises role, um, you know, you could definitely give a little bit more to to Robert Duvall so he can reprise mm-hmm. his role. I mean, there's there's a lot of you know things that are wrong with you know the making of part three that not 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 necessarily a re-edit can can go back and and, and change yeah. that but it helps yeah because i think that was coppola's intention that the first one was going to focus on the first brother which is mm-hmm. santino the second one was going to focus on the second brother which is fredo and the third one would have been about tom Hayden, you know showing right. showing his authority, right. right? The black sheep of the family, the adopted son, but yet he's the he's the one should be the don. He's the he's mm. got the best smarts. He's got the right. best. Yeah, he's got the best that character. Tech, he's I got agree. the best. He's. And then let's not forget yeah. too. You know, one of the great special yeah. features. I think it's one of the Easter eggs was a little small uh, interview with Puzo, who he was talking about. You know, doing a script for for part four um which i think only a couple people had seen including coppola and de niro who was going to reprise uh his role as as the don and this this part four was gonna kind of concentrate on the rise of sonny corleone and and how he became the hothead um that he became and then that the continuous the continued success and growth of, of don Vito corleone as well so that could have been interesting if that you know, had a, the potential to be made, but then Puzo died, and in Godfather Three was was pretty much a a, a flop in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the message that um, yeah. oh, that no. chap was gone. Right. I was going to say the message that 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 the that listener, uh, uh, what was his name again? Grant said is he said uh, he mentioned he said to mention the films Carlito's Way and Scarface as being two films that after The Godfather, you know, two more mob-based films with Al being absolutely mm. perfect in both of them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't call those films perfect in a way. Yeah, I think, I think they're more like over the top. I mean, especially Scarface, I think his performance is maybe a little bit more over the top uh and they're a little more exaggerated you know again that's that's the palma so it's it's um you know one of those films that the palma's known for but you know for me i think his his character is a little bit more you know over the top which which maybe that was required for for that role but i i don't sit here and 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 put that in the same um the same pedestal as, as maybe a godfather godfather part two very enjoyable film don't get me wrong i I, I love it. But when you really sit down and look at look at that and, the, and Carlito's way again, too, uh, but to a lesser extent, um, extent, uh, I don't think it's it's a it's a perfect, perfect film. And I don't think you can put that on the same pedestal as a Godfather or Godfather Part Two. I think I think the biggest problem with Carlito's way is Pacino looks a bit too old. Mm. I think he was 50 when he made the film and he's trying to pass off as 35. And right. I mean, he looked. He looks better. He looks better at fifty than I do at twenty-eight. But still, <laughs> you're not. You're not fooling anyone at that point. Right. You know. Yeah. 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 Jet black hair doesn't always solve the uh, the aging problem. Look at McCartney. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Brian May got away with it for for long enough. Hmm? Yeah. Brian May gets away with everything. That's because he's good. Mm. He's very good. <laughs> but um I'm trying to think of television series as well, such as The Sopranos. Um and well- well, you got oh. um, you know Boardwalk Empire with uh, Steve Buscemi. Um, that you know, you know mm-hmm. that was that was a pretty good you know series. Not maybe as groundbreaking as as The Sopranos uh, was, but you know again you you've got um, that that organized crime aspect of it. And um, even though it's not really mafia base but it there's still the same kind of organized crime that you would have seen on on sopranos so i i, I think you know that was that was a pretty good one uh, but yeah i mean it's 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 you know what else was there for mafia uh tv shows yep Pinky blinder yes to a to a degree yeah i mean uh but but a, a film that a film that didn't quite possibly make it, but could have done, would be, I would say, probably Bugsy with uh, with Warren Beatty. I think that film could have been a much, much better film, but I'm not sure how it could have been better. It's just there's um, something about the film that just doesn't hit the mark in a way. Was that was that the Dustin Hoffman one, or? Or Warren, was that Dustin yeah. Hoffman or Warren, Warren Beatty? Beatty Which one and am I Annette Benning yeah, is, Warren Beatty. Yeah, Warren Beatty. I don't buy. Yeah, I don't buy Warren Beatty as no. I think. I think he was the issue with it. I don't just. I just don't buy him as somebody that could could be a gangster. You know, um, you know, another one too that. Uh, but dealing with the Irish mob would have been State of Grace with uh, Gary Oldman. It's the one that I think is is an excellent mob film uh, that shows. You know the Irish mob trying to you know get in with uh, with the Italian mob and and the struggles they have with that. So I think that's one that everybody should check out as well. Mm-hmm. I think most films are Gary Oldman. I think you I think you're onto a winner. Yeah. Listen, Gary Oldman was on a great role there in the uh, in in the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, he did some some really outstanding outstanding work then. I think he's still doing outstanding work, but. Uh, but he, you know, he was on a, I think, a great winning streak back then. Yeah, I rewatched The Dark Knight recently, and he's very good in that. Yeah, yeah, he, he's a pretty good uh, um, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to look at my collection here to see other <laughs> other gangster films I've got. <laughs> um, American Gangster, uh, Russell yes. Crowe. Yeah. 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 American Gangster with Russell Crowe and, and Denzel Washington. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of the, you know, the, you know, the versus, you know, good guy versus bad guy. You know, when, I've, when I'm watching a mob or a gangster type film, I just want to see the gangster side of it. Um, you know, so I really thought that that movie could have used more of that. But uh, but it is interesting to see the tactics of like the good guys and how they, you know, come to bust, uh, you know, know the, the the bad guys so i mean that was interesting on on, on that level but um I, I stand the test of time like a godfather or, or goodfellas yep do you think goodfellas is helped by the fact that it's actually based on a on a true story 
Do you think that makes it even more interesting? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I think that yeah. was the... Agreed. I think that's what he said to the screenwriter. Uh, I, I, uh, Scorsese said, I've been waiting for this book all my life. And, and the screenwriter said, I'm waiting for this call all my life. But but there again, you've got you've got a perfectly cast film there with with you know Ray Liotta and the, and then uh, when you've got that seat when you've got that scene in the bar as well with 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 the, with Joe Pesci, uh, you you mm-hmm. there's a there's a strange mix there of with Joe Pesci Joe Pesci where you've got it's funny that sequence, but there's a brutality and a, and a and a cruelness to that to that foot to that humor as well in that sequence it's almost frightening and oh, it's um, definitely frightening in, in, you know yeah i mean a lot of these people were bad were a lot of these people were crazy <laughs> you know and and goodfellas does a great job showing that i mean a lot of them didn't care uh whether or not they went to jail or 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 not and i think the they, they they talked about that i mean like uh for instance uh joe pesci in casino where he's 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 confronting the banker and saying that he's gonna bash him bash his head in with a baseball bat and when he comes out of the coma he's gonna do it again because he just doesn't care <laughs> you know these guys are gonna do what they have to do you know to continue living that lifestyle that that they're in i think it's to pesci's credit that when he returned to acting in the irishman he discarded all those, you know, right. angular right. physical roles for something right. much more cerebral, but right. no less nefarious. And I think actually, Irishman is the performance of his life. He's very, right. he's up, he's an Pacino, and he upstages them both. Yes. No, he's, yeah, he was a plundered one, 180 uh, difference between uh, Casino and Goodfellas. And then here he is more subdued, more calm, more mm. relaxed. And it's just a wonderful performance and well-deserving of the uh, the Academy Award nomination that he got for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, with all due respect to Brad Pitt, I don't think, I don't, th- I don't think his performance in, in Once Upon a Time in a Hollywood where he just smoldered a long look looking handsome was worthy of an academy award right yeah Yeah, but in a way i can understand you know him getting it or him not getting it because again you you can't keep giving the same uh you know the the actor the same you know award for for portraying you know that you know style of person you know being in the in the mob i i mean i can get why they you know the politics of it and why he wouldn't have won that award yeah i suppose so I've just been served pasta, which fits with what, the, with this say, subject. Anything about bringing a lunch? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry about I that. I should have brought some cannolis with me. Yeah. Governor Corleone, Senator Corleone, there just wasn't enough time, Michael. We get that. We get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, oh, I just remembered yeah. another cool bit is the fact that um, 
it, there's a sequence in the in the original the first Godfather that's um, um, completely um, um, he made it up on the spot, didn't he? James Khan, the bit the bit where he chases them and uh, where he runs out of the car and he chases them across the road, doesn't he? Or whatever, and he actually made that up right. on the spot and. Yeah. Where we, get when, that, yeah. where we get that? Yeah. Uh, where we get that? we get that famous phantom punch uh, with his brother-in-law? Is that the what senior referring to? <laughs> yes, that is the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone goes on about the Irishman being able about that scene where De Niro kicks the crap and barely touches him, but Can is fifty years younger and right. he's barely raising his leg. Right. <laughs> Well, that was a very, very tough scene to watch. Uh, De Niro and the Irishman, you know, kicking the, uh, the, you know, the store uh, worker, you know, know, the yeah. owner of the store, you know, yeah. and it was just, you know, him just giving it his all, but just didn't look natural at all, you know. No. We've no, got the problem with the IFI in Dublin, and people were literally guffawing with love. Mm. But then you've got the problem there that because they're using the aging technology and they're making him play the younger version of the character, right. he's got the physicality in real life of the age that he is now. So essentially, he can't actually do that. Where what they could have done is they could have they could have filmed that differently and then superimposed him over a right. person. They- Right, they could have done what they did with like Christopher Lee uh, in 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 the the Star Wars prequels yeah. films, where they just you know have the have the body the younger person kicking the guy and then you know putting De Niro's face you know on it. Same thing like they did kind of did with um, uh, the Sopranos when what's the act the old you know the mom died in there and they did the one scene yeah. in the in the third uh, third season where they, it's a body but they they've got the the face there and you know they could have done many different things you know with that but yeah it just didn't feel you know feel natural at all i still think it's uh, cool that we've got christopher yeah. lee and peter cushion in the star wars universe oh isn't that great <laughs> never thought of it like that no uh, yeah, another film I just thought of too that uh, kind of you know gangster related that I that I enjoy uh, is Killing Them Softly with uh, Brad Pitt and James Gandolfini. I don't know if you guys seen that one or not, but um, but I I, I I I enjoy that film. Yeah, there's various times you know going back to the Brad Pitt uh, mention earlier. There's various times where I think Brad Pitt has actually acted better than when he. Than what he won the the role that he played that he won the Oscar for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's had some great performances. Well, I mean, uh, curious case of Benjamin Button. Uh, yeah. You know, as we talking about the the whole uh, you know de aging uh, process. Um, you know, which which probably gave the 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 uh, Scorsese the 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 okay to do something like the Irishman and and, and the uh, the whole digital uh, de aging uh, process. But yeah, I, I think you know Brad Pitt has his moments. Uh, you know, curious case of Benjamin Button, I think is one of them. Yeah, yeah, no, he he can be a very fine actor, uh, but that's often the way that that actors get their oscars for undeserved performances i mean mm. when you consider yeah. pacino was in the godfather 2 and dog day afternoon he wins for scent of a woman sense of a woman right. 
Can you think of a greater deserve? All right. Damn me. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. 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 I mean, Dog Day Afternoon is an incredible film, really. It yeah. is absolutely, yeah. and you know, and then you gotta give credit to some an actor like John Cazale to, as 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 well. Mm. Um, you know, his performances. You, you know, Pacino admired him. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of those you know, method that. actors admired. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he wanted to go. Why? You know, what country? Let's go to Wyoming. <laughs> I think he said or yeah. something like that. Um, but but John Cazale, I mean, is is perfectly, I think, casted as as Fredo uh, in 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 the you know both yeah. one and two. You know, he's the emotional linchpin of of part two. Cazale uh, only made five films, but they were all nominated for best picture. All yeah. nominated. The last film was. Yeah, uh, his last film the deer was Hunter. the Deer Hunter, yep. and he was racked with cancer, so yep. the execs weren't sure whether to cast him. So De Niro personally right. paid for the insurance himself. That's right. Which I think, I think, I, I think that's a. And when De Niro was asked about, it, he said, "Yo, it's what friends right. do. Yeah. It's what friends do. It's what friends that's do." Right. Yeah. Well, he wanted to work with them so bad, you know. It, it, I, I would maybe. Mm-hmm. You've done the same thing. I mean, everybody respected him, you know, in the business, yeah. you know. So absolutely, yeah. It it is hard to see him in 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 Deer Hunter because he's lost so much weight. Wait, and he, looks, yeah, he does right. Look. He, he's perfect in yeah. all of those five films. He's he's an inc- he's incredible in all of them, and the, they are all so different roles as well that they're, they're completely different mm-hmm. to each other the role that he plays in each of those five films mm-hmm. is shows such an incredible versatility yes agreed and, and it's too bad we lost him so young i mean i i i see yeah. now if he, if he had the opportunity to work you know another 30 40 years you know the work that we we could have uh, admired from him uh i i think that the possibilities are endless i mean i could definitely could have seen him winning an sure. oscar uh or you know winning awards or, or being uh noted as one of the great character actors because that's essentially i think that's what he is i mean he is a wonderful character actor that you know that uh, is a craftsman and he understands the art and he just and, and that's what all it is it is an art let's just focus on on what we're you know that role and uh he's always in that role and i think that you know one of the things i admire admire about him yeah, sure. He, even the way he plays Fredo in the two films is very different. You know, he goes he goes from being you know uh, naive but well-meaning in the first one to just being thunderously pathetic in the second, even pathetic mm. to himself. And um, and he brings on that arc and his one his one sort of redemption, which was the sign of backfires and. Even even his pit even even his even he at his most pathetic, is not able to to change Michael's decision to, from assassinating mm. him. Sorry, listeners, for the spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> yes. but, the, but then you've got the that's the character growth. That's the growth of Fredo as a character. Where mm. you know it, yeah. it it's natural yeah. that after what he'd put into what he'd actually caused essentially in the first film. With with his fault with the father being with Vito being shot, he'd actually cause that to happen, and then the way that 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 Casale actually played that was perfect because 
then you could see slowly through the rest of the first film and then through what happened in the second film, he gradually, his character got more and more haunted by what he'd put into place. And you could yeah. actually see that in the in the role that he was playing in Fredo, that he was constantly getting worse and worse and falling mm. deeper and deeper and oh. deeper down the well right. of bl- blaming yeah. himself for this that had happened and the regret well, that he not felt. Only that, yeah, not only that, I mean, he, what happened? I mean, he's getting stepped over as well by, you know, he's getting, you know, the, you know, Don, you know, Vito chose the younger brother over him, you know, so he's got to deal with that as, as well, mm-hmm. let alone the fact that he, you know, you know, was, was there and, and wasn't able to protect his father. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that's mean, why uh, that's why yeah, I say uh, that those uh, films are perfectly cast. Say that guy, no one. Indeed, I'm just saying a, a brilliant consummate artist, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I, it's another weird casting was the actor who plays Frankie Pen Penitangeli. Yeah. Who, who was only cast at the eleventh hour because the actor playing Clemenza wouldn't mm. refuse to uh, refuse to reprise his, his right. role. Right, he wanted so to wrote yeah. an entirely new character. Right, he wanted yeah. to write and his the, own and words. He, and he, he wanted to write his own yeah, dialogue. A weird demand. Right. Talk, talking as a writer myself, there's nothing more insulting than someone saying, "I want to do your job." It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although there's always the famous time when Harrison Ford tried to tell George Lucas about his dialogue. Oh. <laughs> Same with Mark Hamill, you know. It's he. I was. I watched recently. Watched a bit on um, with Mark Hamill. He was on the Tonight Show and he was talking about this, this terrible dialogue that George Lucas wanted him to say in the film, and he just flat mm-hmm. out refused to do it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, that's Lucas is a very good storyteller, but he's not right. a very good uh, scriptwriter. Oh, no. That being said, one of the most powerful scenes in the original Godfather is actually was directed by George Lucas. This montage, which is interested with with uh, pictures of clips and and a piano and murders, mm. that was put together by George Lucas. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he was a member of that zoetrope uh, tribe. Uh, yeah, back in the early days, he was. He was. Yeah. But the one thing that goes against him is he told Coppola during during the making of when he when he saw Godfather Two, he said to Coppola, "You've got films, ditch one of them." And you think, How, do you miss the point? That is the point of the film. There's two disparate stories going right. a different, coming together at the end. Right. Yeah, but what you, what you mentioned there, I mean, you know, going going off on a tangent there with the the relationship that all these directors had with each other, you've got that with the with with Spielberg with with Jaws, where was it Scorsese who suggested the way to kill the to kill the shark? I don't know. I think it was one of them that suggested it to Spielberg. Mm, I don't remember. But you you do get a sense of a lot of them, yeah. You 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 know UV sets, uh, you know whether or not it's it's the Palma helping George Lucas write the scroll for Star Wars or or yeah, it's it's 
someone suggesting, you know, how to kill the shark, or, you know, someone's writing this or someone's directing a small bit in this film. You know, you, you see that that friendship and, and that understanding, of, you know, if, if uh, you know, Scorsese is better at directing a certain style of scene. Yeah. Yeah. It, the film's only going to benefit if you if, if that happens, yeah. you know, yeah, it's it's Coppola's film. But let's say a Scorsese directed like a little, you know, two minute scene. And if that's what's going to make the movie better they know that they know their weaknesses they yeah. know their strengths um you know and that's mm -hmm. why that's such a, a a tight group um you know that yeah. that that that's you know done so much amazing work over the years but with you know every once in a while with the advice of of one of the other ones or or advices as arnold schwarzenegger was saying and pumping iron um you know and they would and it was just uh, uh um, you know, miracle that the, all of these were, you know, they all knew each other and were able to uh, form this bond and, and help each other out from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why it meant so much for Scorsese when What's he got it, when he his honor, it was presented to him by Coppola. That's right. Uh, when, when Scorsese won his Oscar in 2007, presented to him by Coppola, yep. Spielberg, and George Spielberg Lucas. And Luke, George so, I mean, Lucas, his three correct. best friends yeah. give him his first Oscar. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I've yeah. I've seen pictures of George Lucas on the set of Apocalypse Now, as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then See, you've got Spielberg, Spielberg, and, Spielberg and on Star Wars. Spielberg's there with uh, Phantom Menace. You know, I mean, you you see a lot of that. You know, when you watch those behind the scenes and, and documentaries, you know, on the DVDs or Blu-rays, whatever it is you're watching. Yeah. So. We'll just uh, go back to the subject of, uh, of of gangster films then. So w would you say that The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2 is the best uh, gangster film, Tom? I would say between Godfather, Godfather 2 and, and, and um, Goodfellas, mm -hmm. uh, for me, um, whenever I'm watching one of those three movies, I'm going, this is the best, you know, mob movie of all time. You know, if I'm watching yeah. Godfather two, I'm going, this is the best God, you know, the mob movie of all time. So for me, it's the cycle of, of those three films that uh, really, if you, if I'm going to recommend a mob film from somebody that's never seen one, I'm going to, you know, recommend they watch those three films. Mm -hmm. Yep. What would you say, Owen? Uh, so I would go with Tom uh, for Godfather 1 or Goodfellas for best uh, gangster or mob film, especially American. I do think that On Good Friday is a very good contender for Britain. Agreed. But I would say that the best American film of all time is Godfather 2, because I think it's mm. the history of America. It's the history of the immigrants. It's the history of society in America in a in a stunning 200-minute film. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we completely forget that beautiful scene of them in the second Godfather film where they, where they arrive at Ellis Island, you know, and that's, that's the whole story of, mm. of, of the Italians moving over to America. Absolutely. You know? So, you know, it's Absolutely. got so much there. And like you said, it's the yeah. history of America, essentially. Right. Yeah. My, my great grandfather came to America in the early 1900s um, uh, from from Sicily. So in 2014, my wife and I, we, 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 we were able to go to Sicily 
and um, my my wife's family had a had a house there at the time, so uh, we got to visit there, and we went. We yeah, we actually went to Corleone, and um, it was really upsetting, uh, or it was really disappointing when I learned that the the scenes that were supposed to take place in Corleone weren't filmed in Corleone. <laughs> you know, so so here we are. You know, we we go to this little town, and it looks nothing like the you know the movie. You know, so um, but yeah, it was just one of the great highlights of my of my life so far was going to Sicily and, and, and experiencing, um, you know, just the beauty uh, of that island and the history of that island in, you know, 10 days of my life. There you go. I, I would probably agree with Tom as well that you know to go to the 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 go to the the Godfather and to to Goodfellas as well. To be honest, I think they're both. I mean, you want to go. I mean, I, I see Goodfellas and Godfather, but then then graduate to to Godfather Part Two. Um, you're not gonna, you know, I don't think you're gonna tell somebody, hey, watch, you know, Godfather Part Two first because it is the best mob movie of all time. No, you have to watch. Uh, the godfather first to really understand mm. you know part two but it's not until you watch part two that you understand that that's probably is the best you know mob film of all time but uh on an entertainment value mm. you know goodfellas though i mean that <laughs> this is really you know again you know a two hour plus movie that just does it just flows beautifully and then you know you really can't take your eyes off of it once it starts no, but but then with a, with a really good gangster film, you don't want to be doing that with well with any mob film. You don't want to be taking your eyes away from it because you miss too much. I mean, especially mm-hmm. if you did accent, if you did see Godfather Part Two first, mm-hmm. you've got a problem there because of the fact that you've got something going on with Michael, and then it transitions to a to a sequence in the past with Vito, right. and that because it's all all over the place with time. Mm-hmm. There's a problem that if you go away from the film, you'll lose track of what's going on. But I think you find that with all gangster films, you have to stay there from beginning to end because yeah. there's little things in all the all the best gangster films that you have to keep your eye on to see these things come through. That, that something will happen in the films that affects the end of the film. You need to see right. it all in one go, and you can't you can't take your eyes away from it and miss anything. Right. And and I think that was the issue with the the TV cut of of the Godfather when they brought part one and two to TV and and they did it chronological. Um, it just I mean it it just takes the whole feel of that movie to, you know away. It just doesn't have the same um, you know you know the same power that the, the that the or the rawness and and that the uh, that they have when they're separate. Yeah, he brings all these new. Um, um deleted scenes into the film but that doesn't help that um that edit at at all um it's great to have those scenes but it's just a completely different feel yeah absolutely so anyway tom what what are you up to with talk more talk and two legs what you got coming up Thank you, Martin. Um, yeah, we got to, again, like I said earlier, we've got the, a new show coming up next week with uh, as we was we filmed this. This is what this is uh, March 15th. 
Um, the, the next Monday, we're, we're doing our uh, another listen series where we're taking a look at George Harrison somewhere in England. And then we're always busy on, on, on two legs. Andy and I, we're, we're going to be having another author on again soon talking about his new book, uh, Ted Montgomery, and it's called Beatles Through Headphones. Yeah. Um, so that'll be coming soon. And uh, we're going to have... Uh, Chip Mattinger and Mark Easter, who brought us the uh, the great Eight Arms to Hold You uh, uh, book uh, back on the show. And uh, yeah, we've got plenty of stuff going. Please check out our YouTube channel, Two Legs, a Paul, McCart- a Paul McCartney podcast. Please subscribe. We're getting close to our goal of 1,000 subscribers. Um, so go. So please check us out there. And then Talk More Talk is on uh, YouTube as well. So you can check us out there and please subscribe. Okay, mm-hmm. and Owen, uh, plug plug the book and well your books and what else you're doing. Oh, thank you. So I have two books. One is on YouTube, not my channel to co-host, uh, but uh, the uh, the band YouTube, and the other is about George Harrison, who uh, produced uh, the Long Good Friday and played guitar in a band in the sixties. You might have heard of them. And the George Hansen book is coming out in in a matter of by the end of the month. Thank you very much, guys, for today. That was fun chatting about a great film. Thank you for having me again. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. You can find Pods Like Us at Instagram, Twitter, and on uh, TikTok just by looking for Pods Like Us. But until next time, thank you for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us.